Good morning. Glad to see you guys. It is good to be back. And uh, this is... We missed being here uh, while we were away, and so it's good to be back. And we are in week two. It's the last week of a series called GoFundMe. And I want to be just as honest as I can be right out of the gate. There was a time, there was a long season when this church first began. The first four or five years of this church, I refused to preach about this subject. I didn't want to talk about money and giving because uh, I was very sensitive to how that can put people off and how that oftentimes does put people off. And I'm still sensitive to that today. But I kind of got over that that uh, that fear because I realized when we give and when we grow in this area of giving and when we're obedient, we get something. It's not something that God wants from us. It's what some, God wants something for us. And so I want you guys and myself to experience the joy and the freedom and the lack of guilt that comes from giving in a way that honors and pleases God. So, hey, good news is this is the last week of the giving series. And all of you guys are stone-faced, but a couple of you are like, yes! And the inside, you're like, awesome! And so the good news is, is next week we're going to start a brand new series. And if you thought, hey, it was kind of awkward to invite my friends to come to Crossroads during a giving series, next week we're going to start a series called Follow the Leader. We're going to walk through the book of Titus together. And it's really going to be a healthy thing for our church and for each one of us. And so let's make this effort to invite our friends to come. There's invite cards on the back table, on the counter back there. Grab those and invite somebody to come next week. It's going to be awesome. And I got a chance to listen yesterday to JoJo's message and was blown away by what he shared last week. And the gist of it was this. The gist of it was when we give, it's a God thing. It's a giving to God thing. It's, it's, it's a worship kind of thing. It's a vertical thing between you and God. And it's something beautiful that, that's just between the two of you. And there's a principle there that really applies to all life. The principle is, is when we get the vertical Going in a vertical uh, relationship with God, it affects every other aspect of our lives, the horizontal with other people in other areas of our lives. So when we're growing closer to God in this vertical relationship, it somehow affects our relationships and we, and we tend to have better relationships with each other. Is that true? When we get in awe of the holiness of God and we get captivated by how different than us that He is and how set apart He is and how holy He is, it, it grips our hearts. It can't but help the vertical in our lives and we want to be more holy in our daily lives. Is that true? And when we experience the grace of God and realize that God is not grading us each day and, and checking us guilty each day, but there is grace and there is forgiveness and He is willing to extend those things through His Son, Jesus Christ, and we receive His grace, it makes it so much easier to give grace to others, does it not? See, the vertical, the, the, what we receive from God always affects the, the horizontal in our lives. And it's true in our finances as well. And when our heart is right before God vertically in this area of war, of giving, it affects how we give. When we get the why right, like Jojo talked about, we'll get the how right. And when we get the how right, this is really where I want to go today. When we get the how right in giving, it will radically impact what God can and will do in this community and in this world. 
So I want to illustrate that this morning, this principle, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Exodus chapter 35. We're going to see a really neat story that illustrates this truth. When we get the why right, it fixes the how, and that how brings change and influences people. We called this series GoFundMe, and I really want to focus on this idea of go and how God uses our giving to, for the church to go. So listen to this. The setting is this, as you're turning to Exodus 35, Moses is in the desert with a couple million Israelites, and he's leading them. And God gives them this command, and we're going to pick up in verse um, verse 4 here. It says this, Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take up an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring to the Lord an offering. Now you think, wait a minute. These are former slaves who've just been delivered out of Egypt. They're in the desert. What could they possibly have to offer God? You would think they would be dirt poor, but actually they weren't. They had plundered the Egyptians because when God delivered his people out of Egypt, he had brought plague upon plague upon the Egyptian people so that they would finally relent and let God's people out of slavery and let them free. And so the, the Egyptian people were so eager to get them to leave. They would bribe them. They would give them their precious metals and their gems and their fabrics and their livestock and anything of value. They were giving to the Israelite people saying, just please go and take your God with you and leave us be. And so actually they were rich in things to give. And from that, from that loot and bounty they had received, God asked them to give. And he says this, If you're willing, did you notice that? Everyone who is willing, the scripture said, then give to me. Now, I know what a couple of you are thinking. That sounds like a loophole. That sounds like a way out. He says, if you're willing, so you're saying, if I'm not willing, if I don't really feel it, if I'm not really into it, if I don't want to, then I'm off the hook. That is exactly what is God is saying here? Apparently that was the deal here. That you don't have to give. If you're unwilling to give, then don't give. But if you are willing to give, then I want you to give. I saw somebody nudge somebody and say, this is the best giving series ever. If we don't want to, we don't have to. I want you to hold on to that idea of being willing to give. And we're going to keep going here in the story. We're going to come back to that in a second. I want to see what they're giving to. Check this out. So in skip down to verses 10 through 19, I just kind of globbed all these different things together. But this are the things they were giving to. He says, take up an offering for them from those who are willing. And this is what I'm going to do with it. I want to make everything that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar of incense, the anointing oil, the altar of burnt offerings, the curtains of the courtyards with its posts and bases. Hello. We're worshiping in a, in a, in a courtyard, are we not? The woven garments worn for ministering in the sanctuary. God says, I want to build these things. I want to craft these things. And I want to do it in order to set up my tabernacle so that you could now worship me. See, what you've got to stand is up till now, God had been meeting with people individually. And he would, he's revealed himself to people individually. He did it with Adam. He did it with Eve. He met with Noah. He met with Moses. He met with people like Jacob and Abraham. And up to this time.
Am I there? Okay. This thing's loose or something. God had been meeting with these individual people, revealing himself to them. And now, now that that one family of Abraham had grown into a nation of millions, God now wanted to reveal himself to a nation, to a whole people. And so he says, I want you to build this tent. I'm giving you instructions to build this tabernacle and this altar and this uh, all these things to use and sacrifices and offerings to me so that all of you, all of you could worship me. See, God wasn't just satisfied with one person and one family worshiping him. He created each one of us and each one of those people out there that we could all come and worship him. That was his intention and his desire. And so they build this tabernacle. And what's so cool about this is they construct something like this, but much larger so that the nation could come and worship their God and offer sacrifices to him. And they didn't know this at the time. But this tabernacle and this ark and this these things that they made were going to be used for generation to generation. And in the times of Joshua, when they came and conquered the promised land, they used these things to worship God. And during the whole book of Judges, if you read that book, Judges, there's 400 years of Jewish history. They would go, they set this thing up in Shiloh. We actually went there in March. And they climbed a hill and they could go meet with God because the tabernacle was there and the physical presence of God was manifested in this place and it was centrally relocated so that all the tribes of Judah could come and worship their God. Now these these slaves in the desert had no idea that God wasn't going to do that much with what they gave, but he did. For generations and generations, people were going to reap the blessings of God because of their faithfulness to give. And they, they gave everything that was needed to worship God, to honor God, to clo- grow close to God, to be an example to the other nations. The other nations could observe they were worshiping God and they could learn from them. Everything God intended to do, they gave to. Guys, we are no different. We're in exactly the same place that these people are. Today, we have the opportunity to give. And when we give, the church can go. When we give, the church can go and do things and draw peoples and families and nations to Him. That is our unique opportunity as the church of Jesus Christ. When I say we give so we can go, I don't mean just to have church. I don't mean just to pay the bills. Those are all necessary things. But when we give in such a way that it honors God, we get to go and we get to see things that nowhere else in society we get to see. We get to see the evidence of transformed lives. People that were once this way are now this way. And people who were once lost and confused and hurting are now healed and broken and found in the name of Jesus Christ. And those that are hopeless find hope. And students that didn't know uh, what who God was can find faith and begin to grow in that faith. We can see marriages that are not going to make it restored and vibrant in Jesus Christ. We can see our whole community changed for God. But the opposite is also true. When we don't give, we limit what the church is able to accomplish. 
So God says, I want you to go fund me. I know Jojo talked about examples last week of, of different people setting up GoFundMe uh, accounts and they have a variety of merit and worth. Um, but this is the one, this is the one fund that is, is, is most critical and most important. And I know we've got a lot of different people in our ears screaming for funds. Uh, have you ever experienced this? I'm sure you have. You're in the checkout line and you hear them ask the people in front of you, you go, oh man. Here it comes. Would you like to donate a dollar today for the blah, 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 blah? And I'm always nice. Are you always nice? No, thank you. Or here's a dollar. Just one time, I want to go, can you donate? No! That would just feel really good. I don't know. Maybe that's... Can you hear me? We went to the Renaissance. Festival with uh, the Morrises uh, about a month ago, something like that. And I hadn't been in 20 years. It'd been a long time, but it's pretty much the same. <laughs> I was like, wow, I hadn't changed much. But in, um, the Renaissance Festival was awesome time. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but they have live entertainment. And so they have different acts that uh, do their little show. And, and we met Gypsy Jeff. And Gypsy Jeff was a juggler and uh, a comedian and kind of all a bunch of different things. And uh, and we just really enjoyed his show. And Jeff made a plea for funds. Go figure. And uh, we're sitting in the show. We're laughing, having a great time. And then towards the end, he starts just talking about, you know, live theater is a dying thing. And so when you give, if you help me give, then you're just helping support live theater. And I'm thinking, yeah, that ain't going to help, man. <laughs> that didn't that didn't really pull up my strings, but but some people I'm sure would. And then he says, you know, I really like to eat, and uh, so if you give, I can eat, and that's a good thing. And he says, if you give enough, I can move out of my parents' basement, and that's a good thing. And um, and then he did this. He had some kids in his show, and they were hilarious. I mean, it was awesome. And one of those kids, the littlest one on the end, was little four-year-old Joshua. And Joshua was cute as a button, wasn't he? He was awesome. And so he pulled Joshua back up at the end of the show and he's holding his giving basket. And he said, you can, he was good. (laughs) Gypsy Jeff had done this before. And he had Joshua holding the basket and he said, now Joshua, give everybody a sad face. (laughs) And how could you say no to little Joshua? And so... Here's what I found myself. We, we gave, we gave a little bit of money. Okay. We tipped. We gave a little tip because we enjoyed the show. And I thought, I'm glad that we could do that. It was, it was fun. It was worth it. And Jeff eating is a good thing. But the mission of the church of Jesus Christ is so infinitely more important. The mission that God has given us responsibility to is so much bigger than that. It's so much bigger than that. We have the greatest mission possible because we have been entrusted with God's mission to see world the world renewed in Jesus Christ. See, whatever other cause we give to, and I've given a bunch of other causes, but every other cause that we give to makes somebody's life better here. It makes their life temporarily better here. But without the mission of God, the mission that's been given to the church, then all we're really doing, and it's as crass to say it this way, but all we're doing is we're making the world a better place for them to go to hell to from.
And that doesn't sit well with me. See, our mission, our, our, our opportunity as the church has eternal and significant value that will not just pay dividends in this life, but will pay dividends for generations to come and in for eternity. Guys, I, I'm sure you're aware, but we had a trip, a team go to Nicaragua this summer and uh, did some of that kind of awesome go kind of work and, and got to impact a bunch of lives. We want to show you a short video showing you because we gave what God was able to do down in Nicaragua. Man, that looked awesome. Let's give God praise for what he did down there. So here's what happened down there. Um, because you gave and bought soccer balls, the little gospel balls, and, and maybe you helped support somebody going down on that trip, or maybe you brought some of the supplies that they asked for, they were able to do a bunch of ministry down there in that week. Uh, touched a lot of lives. A lot of kids were, were, uh, were shared the gospel. A lot of, uh, uh there's a village actually about the size of the, all the number of people that are in this building today. There was a village that had no clean water in their village and they would all drink, bathe, wash, and the animals would drink all out of the same water spot. And they were able to begin to build uh, clean water, a source of clean water and, and different things where they could wash in a place and shower in a different place and bring clean water to a village like that. And God did amazing things while they were down there. But you know, when they got back, I asked them, all right, so tell me about next year. And they said, we got to go back and we got to take 20 people with us. And they said, we also have the opportunity. They said, there's other villages like this that they have no work started in yet. There's villages, 150, 200, 300 people. They have no clean water and they have no gospel witness. They've never heard a, a, a clear presentation of one's, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And we could adopt one of those villages and our church could radically change the future of that village. I said, yeah, I want to do that. We want to do that, but we gotta we gotta be able to do that. We gotta be able to give to that. I was in um I was in a small group a couple months ago, and somebody asked me the question, God, Rod, what if our giving doubled next year? What if next year we brought in twice as many offerings as we did this past year? And I just kind of flew off the handle. I was like, man, this is incredible. We could, this cafe that's over here, we could trick it out, we could staff it, we could resource it, we could build an environment there where we had dozens of students not only hanging out there but receiving Christ there next year. I said, we could hire staff where we could have more staff on children's and student ministry and worship team. We could do a bunch of more hiring for staff. I said, we could launch Celebrate Recovery next year in such a way that it impacts the hurting and the broken people that need recovery in a profound way in our community. And I said, we'd have enough money after all those things to put aside a serious chunk of money that we could look at doing our first church plant in another community and do a church just like this. He's like, we could do all that if our giving doubled? I said, easy, we could do all that. We could go so much more if we give to it. Now, back to our story. So Moses puts out the plea. They, they give. But I want you to see this in, in chapter 36, verse 6. This is the part that blows me away, guys. This is the part that challenges me. It says this. Then Moses gave an order. Let me just stop right there. 
you're probably thinking, he's got to ask again. He's got to ask that you got to make another plea for stuff to be given so they could finish the work. Then Moses gave an order and they sent this word throughout the camp. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Oh my gosh, that is incredible. Have you ever been in a church or in a situation or a service where they said, stop, there's there's too much given. We need you to stop giving. Your generation is too much. I've never been in that place. And it begs the question, why? Why were they so motivated to give so freely? Why were they motivated to give so generously? I'm convinced it's one thing. I'm convinced it's because a few weeks earlier, they had been slaves. Just a few weeks earlier, they were living the life that their parent and their grandparent and as many far back generations as they can remember had been living as slaves in Egypt. Working to build buildings. Working in the hot sun. Working under cruel masters. Whips at their back. And they were destined for so much more. See, God had given their father, their great-great-great-grandfather, Abraham, a promise. And they knew they were missing out on this promise that God had given them. That they would one day be a great nation. And they would be a light to all nations. And God would be glorified through them. That all nations would know their God because of them. Then, then God shows up. And he frees them. God shows up and he sets them free. And because of that, here's the deal, guys. Freed people give freely. Because they knew they had been slaves and now they'd been made freed, it wasn't a chore, it wasn't hard, it wasn't a burden. Because they had been freed from their slavery, they gave freely. Just imagine if you had spent your entire life in prison, And somebody came and freed you out of that bondage, out of that cell, out of that place of boredom and tediousness and no purpose and brought you into a new life. It would not be a chore to do something for them. It would not be a chore to want to help them in whatever they needed. If you could be generous back, you would do it. That's that parallels so perfectly what God has done for us. I mean, Romans 6 makes it clear three times in that chapter. It says, you were slaves. You were a slave to sin and you were a slave to death. And because you were a slave, you had a cruel master. And that master was the enemy and the deceiver and the liar and the tormentor and the accuser. And he was a cruel master. And life under that master was bad. But you were created for so much more than that. You were created for a relationship with God and you were missing out on that. And then God showed up. And then God revealed himself to you through the person of Jesus Christ. And you heard about what Jesus had did for you. That he was willing to go to a cross and the sin that you and I were slaves to. He brought that upon himself and he was willing to die a death so that you and I could go free. And when you heard that news... 
And you received that offer that God had to give you new life and received it. You became free. And so we're free. But I want you to think about just how free we are for a second. He freed us, first of all, He freed us from the penalty of sin. You think about this a second. Uh, the, the Romans 6 also says the wages of sin is death. Because you and I have sinned, what you and I deserve is death. We deserve eternal separation from God in a place called hell that is not going to be any fun. That's what we deserve. But because of Jesus' substitutionary death, He says, you deserve that, but I'm willing to go in your place and I'll take the punishment and I'll die in your place so that you can be free and that you can live. And so God says, I'm willing to free you from the penalty of sin. But He's also willing to free you from the power of sin. When, when that transaction happened, something radically changed in our spirit. And now there's a desire to please God and there's a desire to live for God. But the reality is that you and I still deal with sin every single day. But Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit resides in each believer and is there to begin to free us each day, moment by moment, from the power of sin in our life. See, He died not just to give us a, a pass out of hell into heaven. He died that our lives might be renewed so that the power of sin gets weaker and weaker in our lives and the power of God gets stronger and stronger in our lives. He's in the process in each one of us Delivering us from the power of sin. He's able to give us victory and, and, and power over the temptations and the habits and the sins that are trying to rule your lives and my lives. One day, one day we'll be freed from the presence of sin. One day we'll be in a place as followers of Jesus Christ. We'll live in a place that you and I all long for. And our hearts are wondering, when is this day going to happen? Can I promise you something? There is going to be a day and a place where we will be in the presence of God. And there will be no more sin. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more crying. And there will be no more pain. And we will experience no sin. The presence of sin will be removed. He's freed us. He is freeing us. And one day he will finish that freedom in Christ. See, what's the difference between the Israelites and us is they knew they'd been freed. They, you didn't have to remind them that they'd been freed. They remembered waking up to the whips of their masters. And now they're waking up in the freedom of a new nation and the presence of God before them. And they remembered they'd been freed. Guys, too often, when we don't feel free to give and we don't feel free to love and we don't feel free to, to, um, to show grace and mercy, all those things is because we have forgotten we've been freed. I believe it's maybe the most vital practice of a follower of Jesus Christ is simply to do this one thing, to remember daily what God has done for you through Jesus Christ. A day shouldn't go by that we don't recount where I was and where I was heading and what my life was like. And then when Jesus intervened, I was a slave to sin. I was in torment to sin. And yet God delivered me and now I'm free. I'm free.
And we can't forget the sacrifice that had to happen for that to happen. That the, the God of the universe, because of his amazing love for us, he stepped into our place and he suffered on our behalf so that you and I could go free. And when we begin to practice remembering, I believe it will radically change our lives. Because when we get this vertical thing right, the horizontal sort of finds its way. When we, when we remember all that God has done and all that He is, it can't help but influence everything about our lives. It'll even infect our giving. Because freed people give freely. Now, how does God want us to respond to this, church? How does He want to respond? It's simple. He just wants us to remember who He is and all that He's done, that He's freed us from sin. And so here's my challenge to help us remember. Because we're sitting here today and we'll say, Oh man, I won't forget that, God. I'll keep remembering that. God, I'm going to praise You for that. God, I'm, I'm in love with You for that. But it's our tendency to forget. So here's my challenge to each one of us. Simply find a way to remind yourself every day. Put something physically in your life to remind you every day that God has set you free. You can take an Expo marker and write it on your mirror. You can take a piece of paper and put it on the dashboard of your car. You can take your computer and bake a picture of it and put it on the home, the, the, the desktop of your computer. You can do something on your phone and make it the home screen of your phone. There's a million different ways that we need to be reminded that God has set me free and I'm not that person anymore. I'm this person because God has made me new in Jesus Christ. Now, I've been making an assumption. I've been making an assumption that we've all been freed. That we've all been delivered from that sin that we've been talking about. And the reality is there's likely people in here that are doubting whether you've ever made that step, that God's ever set you free. You still wrestle with sin. You still doubt your salvation. You still wonder if God is for you, not against you. Maybe if you're honest about your own condition, you'd say, yeah, I feel like a slave to sin and I'm ready to be made free. I'm going to pray with you and pray for you in just a second because this is the most critical moment, the most pivotal moment of your life that God would come in and free you from all the things that are trying to weigh you down and keep you down and keep you from all that he has for you. And we're going to pray. And while this song plays, here's what I want you to do. If you're wrestling with anything, if anything is kicking your tail in your life and you feel like you're a slave to it, we're going to have some people at this table right here and they're going to pray with you. If you feel like I have not been set free and I'm ready to receive Christ, that I might know that freedom, they're going to be ready to pray with you. And so I want you to go. As soon as this song starts, let's pray together. God. What kind of God are you that you give and you give and you give and you don't demand that we give back? You don't you don't force it upon us. You simply say, if you are willing, come. And God, that is your invitation to each one of us today. If you're willing to give back to me, if you're willing to give a life of freely giving back to me, I want to be that God for you today. And God, in this room, there's some people that need to just decide, I've been freed and so I'm going to freely give.
But God, my heart also goes out to the people that have not yet been freed. And they're living in bondage to sin and to a cruel master. And yet there's a loving God. There's a loving master that is waiting to receive them and love them and forgive them and give new life to them. If only they will say yes and believe in their heart that Jesus Christ is the way. That Jesus Christ died on the cross, not just for the sins of the world, but for their sins, their individual sin. And if they're willing to place their faith in Jesus, the one who not only died for sin, but then rose victoriously over sin and say, I believe it's Jesus. He's my way. He's my ticket. He's my freedom. Then just call out to him right now and say, Jesus, I want your freedom. Just in your own heart, or maybe you verbalize that, Jesus, I want your freedom today. Or maybe he's freed you, but you've went right back into Egypt and you're living in slavery to sin. Just say, Jesus, I want your freedom today. I want your freedom. Make me new. Set me free. We ask these things in Jesus, your precious name. Amen.